Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. I see y'all. Nice to have sunshine while we're here. Everybody doing well? Staying healthy? Anything exciting going on? Nope. All right. Yeah, sunshine. It's close to 
Mopar season. That's right. But, uh, yeah, that way, that's all right. Well, it's nice to be with you all today. If you want to stand, we'll pray and praise God. Father, we love you. We're here for you this morning. Um, may everything that's done in this place, um, may all our hearts and minds be on you. Leonard, and just all of us as we um, listen to you this morning. We give you this time. We love you. Uh, we're here in a, an act of surrender, God, that we need you. Uh, we are blessed to have you in this place, and we love you and we praise you, God. And you're why we're here. So may these songs honor you.
down my life, I take up my Kids are dismissed. I got hooray. Is that right? Okay. All right. How's everybody doing? Ready to get to work? You're like, what do you mean get to work? Well, part of what we do is... um, uh, we do our part. God does his part if we want to engage him. And uh, we just sang a song that was actually the ending of many revival services that were led by uh, uh, people like Billy Graham. Uh, we started right out of the gate saying, I surrender all. And I think that's a pretty good 
place to begin because it's, it's a way of just starting the day and saying, this is the Lord's day, and I want to surrender myself to it, and I'm trusting you, Lord, uh, to show yourself to me so that I can live out the rest of the week uh, with a sense of your abiding presence. Now, if you weren't aware that that's what happens uh, when we meet every Sunday, hopefully now uh, you know that there is something unseen, something powerful that happens uh, as we gather in his name. And I just wanted to mention as well, uh, you talk to people outside of the church, and, and some people have uh, said, you know, Christianity is a dying religion, and other people have said, I used to go to church, but I don't go anymore. And there's a lot of misinformation about who Jesus is that uh, causes people really to kind of step back or step away or not even engage. And I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged whenever I gather with you guys because I hear those voices all week long. And sometimes if you just hear it, you're like, you start to even doubt yourself. But when you gather with people for worship and you look at the lives and listen to their hearts as you talk to people around you, you discover that that very same Jesus that is alive inside of you is, a, is alive inside of the people that you see here. And that's very validating and encouraging. Uh, so hopefully uh, you're as encouraged as I am as we gather every Sunday. Um, well, with that little mini sermon uh, out of the way, um, there's another larger sermon also you can expect, and hopefully it'll be a, it'll be, um, a blessing for you guys. But before we get into that, I want to mention uh, a few announcements, uh, and then we'll get into our prayer time. Uh, devotional yoga is uh, uh, concluding on Thursday, Thursday, right, Kendall? Okay. And then will you be doing that again sometime down the road? Awesome. Okay. So if you've never done yoga before, it's a good way to help your, your mind and your body to, to relax and to basically uh, de-stress, but also do it in uh, a surrounding that, um, uh, it, that, that asks the Lord to be a richly part of that experience. So thank you for doing that, Kendall. Uh, and, you know, it's, if you just need to go and show up, Kendall is a very disarming person, and I think you'd find it uh, really good. Uh, so a couple other things. We've got things happening regarding outreach. If you're interested in being a part of the people that look at the community around us and ask the question, God, how is it that we can touch the lives of the people that you see that are disconnected from your son? Um, if God is putting that compulsion inside of you, this Monday, tomorrow night at 630 here at the church, um, uh, join us for a meeting in uh, how we can get engaged in things we can look forward to there. When we think about us in terms of the uh, things happening within the body, uh, that's the next meeting, the next night on Tuesday, uh, and that is um, events that we're planning that are part of the fellowship that will involve, of course, inviting uh, people outside the church. Uh, we're going to be meeting on Tuesday at 6 to talk about that as well. So it's really exciting to see things start to pick up and start to um, uh, take on purpose again uh, in the church, and hopefully you feel that excitement like I do. Uh, and then uh, the last thing I want to mention is uh, Lent is just right around the corner. 
Now, some of you may or may not have experienced the Lent season uh, coming from your background, perhaps. And uh, in our experience, um, it's something that's been a part of this church for quite a long time. And it's a really good season, I think, to calibrate your spirit with the Lord. And so we take Ash Wednesday. Now, we don't go down to... uh, um, you know, down in New Orleans and celebrate Mardi Gras or anything like that. We're, we're not really about that. But what we do is look at the Christian tradition and say, hey, what is it about this time between um, Ash Wednesday and Easter that we can prepare ourselves to celebrate the resurrection on the other side of that, that season? So what we, what we try to do every year is put together something that will help us journey through that in a daily devotional sense. And we've printed up uh, one of three installments of our Lent devotional guide. Uh, and we'd encourage you to pick these up. They're right outside the worship center out back and uh, track with us. And what we're doing this year is a little different than what we've done in the past. Uh, we're focusing on three or four scriptures, rather, that have played a big role in defining who we are as a church. And one of them uh, you're familiar with, if you've been here on Sundays, uh, is the Lord's Prayer. And so for about two and a half weeks, we're just going to be reading devotionally about what the Lord's Prayer is all about and how that affects us personally and how it affects us as a church and what we can do in response to what we pray. Because sometimes, maybe you've done this. I know I've done it. I've prayed the Lord's Prayer, and I'm not really thinking about what I'm praying. And if you're guilty of that, perhaps this is a way for God to capture your attention and remind you what you're doing. Um, So we're going to be studying this together, also in groups. And we've asked all of the groups that are gathering if they wouldn't mind um, just hitting the pause button on the things they are studying and just do this as a church-wide uh, experience. That way everybody's on the same page and we're all aligned and we're all hopefully getting primed for the work that the Lord's going to be doing through this church. So um, one way that you can do that if you're not a part of a group already is right outside the worship center. We have a sign-up sheet for Sunday through Thursday uh, if you want to gather in a group, if you're not a part of a group and you just want to meet with, with some other people, um, we're encouraging to, you to do that because some of the richest things that happen in this church aren't always in this space, but in the groups that gather. And they're more intimate and they're more personal and people really find that they can connect with others. And a lot of times they hear stories that say, I didn't realize I wasn't the only one going through that. So groups offer a lot, and we're going to be studying this together in those uh, Lent groups and uh, the Lent studies that are gathering. So all that to say, pick one of these up before you leave, and, um, and then uh, next week as uh, we move into Ash Wednesday following next Sunday, following that Sunday, uh, we'll be all journeying together. Okay? You good? All right. So, now I'd like to know if there's anything you guys have on your heart today that we can be praying about. Yes, Diane Rude? Yes.
Wow. Yeah. Competitively? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. Whoa. That's harrowing. Yeah. Praise the Lord for that, Diane. And if you're watching online and you're thinking, well, what, what, what were they just talking about if you didn't hear? Um, Diane Rude's um, uh, son and family were uh, in, a, in a car accident, rear-ended by a semi, and everybody walked away from it, more or less. And just unbelievable. Yeah. Thank the Lord. Okay. So that's definitely, I would say, a praise, right? All right. I'm not asking anybody to top that, but do you have anything on your mind? Yeah. Uh, Billy. Okay. We'll be praying for you and uh, just, just remembering your mom. Okay. Robin. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Good. Okay. Okay, so Robin needs to help get... This is on the property up, up north, about probably an hour away, maybe. Okay. All right. Well, praise the Lord for that. I know that's been a heavy burden for you. And, um, and the Lord obviously is, in his time, helping you through that. Really good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... Robin's giving thanks for God helping her through a pretty big estate thing with her siblings. Okay. All right. Diane? Uh huh. Oh, good. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Minot, North Dakota, right? Just to be exact. Why not Minot? Why not Salem? Okay. All right. Well, Gigi, if you, if you met her last week, uh, hopefully, hopefully they'll, they'll come back here. Very lovely person. Okay. Anybody else? All right. Carissa? Okay. What's his name? David. David. Okay. Uh, co-worker? 
that had a dental procedure that is not healing well. His name is David. Okay, keep him lifted up. Okay, so uh, Peyton's teacher, what's her name? Mrs. Okay, Mrs. Garn. Pray for her and her child. Okay. Ernie? This is serious. Okay. Oh, that is serious, for sure. Yeah. Wow, congratulations, guys. Awesome. Oh, whoa. Wow, you guys are beaming. Man. Whew. Cool off over there. Okay. So what... Uh, All right, you learned. Okay, good deal. That's awesome. You should go for it. Five kids, 51 up. Mm, that's a while. Yeah, man, still got the spark too. Gives us hope, doesn't it? Okay, so... In case anybody's wondering, Ernie and Diane celebrated how many years? And how old are you, Diane? All right. Love it. Better than nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. It is. You're, I'm surprised you let him talk that much, but that's all right. Okay. Any others? Well, we do have other work to do here, so we'll just go ahead and um, round it up together and take it before the Lord's throne. So would you bow with me? Father, we know that as we are called to be your people, uh, we're called to be a community of people together. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, helping us to be who, who we're called to be. And where we lack, Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient. And I thank you, Father, that in the world that we live in, there are pecking orders and hierarchies and places where people jockey for position. But in your house, Lord, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. We are all equally made in your image and likeness. Um, we are all equally guilty of crossing lines with you that... Um, required your son to come into our world and rescue us and call us and help us deliver us from all the darkness that takes over and bringing us into a place where we can gather in your name and be a part of your kingdom. Lord, it is a privilege to consider those realities and how they define our lives and how 
from the outside, they're hard to detect, but from the inside, there is a palpable change that creates a level of joy that we can't find anywhere else. And we know that's from you, and we give you thanks for that. We thank you for all the things we've just celebrated, for being with families that are traveling, that had lives spared from tragedy, for being with Robin and helping her through the logistics of managing an estate, for helping um, Gigi and her husband to resettle here in Salem, and I pray that you would bless them for being with Billy and helping him through uh, a month that reminds him of his mother's passing. May he just have your spirit of encouragement. Pray, Father, that you be with the concerns that um, we've mentioned, be with um, uh, Mrs. Garn and be with David and be with um, uh, other things that uh, are on our hearts like um, Rob Coffey. We pray that you would help him and just enable him, Lord, to... um, Uh, have everything he needs to be made whole again. We thank you, Father, for uh, being with um, our church in this season where we're coming back into form in ways that are, are different but yet true to our roots. And so we pray for your blessing upon our Lent season where we just travel together through key scriptures that have defined your church for so long. We ask that you just enable our hearts to be engaged with those things that your spirit is orchestrating within this body. I just pray, Father, for burdens that uh, we have here in this room that haven't been lifted up, that you would also attend to those needs, those worries, those concerns, and the things that we are ecstatic about but yet maybe didn't express. You know our hearts. And we just give you thanks for the blessings that stack upon each other each day. Lord, I pray that your blessing be upon the proclamation of your word as um, I bring it uh, into, into this body of people. I pray that the things I say would be in concert with your will and purpose. I just ask, Father, that you help us to be in tune with uh, the things that you're doing in our lives, in our church. And may you use the Lord's Prayer in a fresh way, even though we say it repetitiously. May the intentionality behind it and the significance of that come alive as we pray together. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you, or if you want to look on the screen, um, we want to uh, take um, uh, the the remainder of the book, uh, or the remainder of Luke 13, and figure out what Jesus has happening in his life and his ministry at this moment, on his way to Jerusalem, which ultimately is going to be his time of crucifixion. Uh, And so there's a lot of drama that is going on in these texts that we've been been studying together. And I don't know about you, but I found it, it, I don't know, it's uncanny how it's spoken to my heart, and I know many of you have expressed that as well, um, each week in ways that um, only God can orchestrate. And I trust that that process will keep happening. Um, 
So if, uh, if you want to look at Luke 13, uh, we'll begin. Um, if, um, if, if you've ever had um, a job where you were given a job description and you didn't know exactly what you're supposed to do, uh, and somebody came alongside and said, this is how you do it. But eventually you did it well enough that um, other aspects of the job started to show up. And you're like, should I be doing that? Shouldn't I be doing that? And you don't really know because you don't really know clearly what the purpose of the business or the organization is. Or you don't know the heart of the person who owns the business. It's been kind of interesting. I, my, my son, who we've been praying for to, to leave the country of Georgia, which I'm glad because of what's happening in the Ukraine, is now situated in Chicago. And he's working, I think, a dream job for him. He's a landscape architect, and he's working on actually uh, a firm of 60 people. They just hired 20 of them, and he's in that batch. Uh, and uh, his small group of people in that firm they take the trees and the plants and everything, and they, you know, they, 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 they situate them. And, and basically, these are very wealthy people who live along Lake Michigan, um, and the company caters to that clientele. Um, so it's, it's just a good job for him. And he got there, and do you know anybody in your world that likes to have everything in order? You know, everything has a place, every place has a thing. Anybody like that? Anybody go into a workplace and things are not quite what they should be? Well, he has that tendency with steroids enabling it even more than you could imagine. And when he got there, he's like, this is out of order and this is out of order. And he started working on some of these things, trying to get some organizational elements in place. And he got a little bit of pushback from some of the higher-ups because, well, we don't quite do it like that. And he wanted to explain why. And I said, Christian, just easy. You're new. Um, get to know the people. Get their trust. Don't come in and change the world without really letting them know that you're a trustworthy person to do these changes. Well, you know, he thought, well, I'll give that a week or two then, and then I'll move on. But what I appreciated about how he approached it was, you know, he's like, I know a lot of things need to be done, and I know that I've got to just back off a little bit, and my time will come when I can have a voice and contribute, and i got to respect other people and their misgivings about a newbie coming in and changing things. But he did decide that I really want to know how this place is supposed to work. And he wrote an email to the CEO of the company, and he said, do you mind meeting me for lunch someday soon? And I'm, that's some chutzpah there, buddy. But um, surprisingly, the, the CEO of the company said, sure, how about uh, in two weeks on a, on a Monday? And he was just ecstatic. And I'm like, well, now you got yourself into it. Hope you, uh, hope you don't open mouth and insert foot anywhere along the way, and then hopefully it'll go well. I'm just, just kidding. Um, his... His, his hope was, though, to just get a sense of what the owner of the company has in mind when he looks at what they are called to do, above and beyond all the things that he reads about and all the things that he's instructed to do, all the rules for how you live out your life in that workplace. And I thought it was really interesting because in a lot of ways, 
it parallels what God expects you and I to do when we decide to become a part of, for lack of a better way of saying it, his organization, his way of doing their mission and their purpose, his way of taking the world where it's at and changing it into the world that it should be. And Jesus, in a very personal, in a very disarming way, just showed up on the streets and began having conversations with anybody and everybody for the sole purpose of helping them to get to know who the CEO of the universe is. And in the process, he wants the people that he talks to at every level of our humanity to take away from that conversation a sense that they can be a part of this whole thing. So as we're reading this story, he's trying to communicate that. But there are some people that are just not happy about the way he's going about it. They're not happy with the changes that he's trying to create, especially in the religious establishment of the day, because it's, it's content, it's powerful, it's making a lot of money, and um, it's positioning key people in places that they really don't want to give up their day jobs. And Jesus is very disruptive to them. There are other people like you and I, when we meet him on the street and we find that when he looks at our face and he looks into our eyes, it's almost disturbing the ability that he has to see what's going on through our eyes in our soul. And this uncanny capacity that Jesus has to see things as they are and speak to them is so encouraging for people that are hurting and broken and have been ignored. But it is so upsetting to people who like the way their lives are without Jesus barging in and disrupting it. And there is, therein lies the problem. So here's what we read. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. And let's just stop for a second. Well, okay. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. So here's the guy's question. Jesus what about those people in Papua New Guinea who don't hear the good news? Are they going to be saved? What about those people on the island of Madagascar who aren't aware of what's going on? What about those people who, you know, and it's all of this sort of let's look at a big general question and not really focus so much on what you see when you look in my soul. It's kind of a way of deflecting and staying sort of religious. And at times, it's easy for us to do that, isn't it? When we get uncomfortable, hey, let's ask a big picture question. 
What happens to people who have never heard the gospel and when they die? Will they be saved? And Jesus says, I'm not so interested in answering that question right now because I think what's more appropriate is to respond to the question that really is on the table. And that is, are you, are you seeking the kingdom? Because I'm holding the door open and the door's got a tension on it where it's going to be closing at some point. And I'm standing here holding it open. And I want you to come inside the door so that you'll be safe from the things that are going to happen outside of the door that are not going to be good. Now, in effect, Jesus has some things on his mind, and they are short-term and they are long-term. Now, if somebody told you that the United States of America and the Capitol buildings and the congressional buildings and everything that symbolizes the greatness of our country, if somebody told you in another generation it would all be flattened and destroyed and you'd be carried off or worse, things that happen to you and your family and your children are just unspeakable. If somebody told you that was getting ready to happen in about a generation for us, what would you say? How would you feel? How would you feel knowing that you had an opportunity to see that unfold in the future and now you had to live with the knowledge that it's coming? It's a pretty dreadful thought, isn't it? But in reality, that is exactly where the people that Jesus was talking to along the way were situated. Because in the generation, people were going to come and they were going to destroy the world as they knew it. And if you're a historian, you know 70 AD means something. It means that that beautiful temple that Herod created, gone. It means that all of the things that represented who they were as the people of God, destroyed. And all of the religious order and structure, annihilated. And Jesus has that in, in mind when he's saying to them, it's coming. But he also has in mind something that is a little bit longer down the road, and that is how that affects how that warning affects all of us. Because there will come a time when we will die and we'll have to give an accounting to the Lord for our lives. And the way I understand the story is we have to know Jesus and the way that he describes uh, how, we can, how we can find safety with God. He's the only one who has the ability to transfer us from the impending doom and the hope of eternal life and life abundantly. And as Jesus is carrying these two things in his head, he's thinking about his countrymen who are, the day's going to come when it's just going to be as awful as you could ever imagine. But he's also thinking about people who are, going to die without knowing him and what that uncertainty creates for those who are outside of the kingdom. And it's a heavy burden that he bears. And the 
challenge is, how can I motivate God's people to carry the good news of the kingdom into the lives of the people around them in a way that makes a difference? Because I know one of the things that God is doing to the church, he's shaking it up. There are a lot of people who don't come to church anymore because it didn't really mean a whole lot anyway. If it did, they'd be back. I mean, that's the bottom line. We pay attention to the things we value, and we don't pay attention to the things that aren't important, do we? I mean, I, I don't. I'm always drawn to something that's important to me. And if Jesus post-quarantine is not important to me, then I might say I believe in Jesus, or I'm connected to the church, or my family went to this church. But I wonder, have you had lunch with the CEO? Do you know him? But not only that, did you discover upon knowing him that he took all the stuff that you bring into this space and he forgave you of it? I mean, there's no question we're living in a crazy moment. I mean, there's stuff happening in the Ukraine, which is very disturbing. There's stuff happening in the world around us that's confusing. There are crisis upon crisis happening in the news every day, and we're almost sort of just in a state of perpetual trauma regarding that. And then there's our own personal challenges. And if you're like me, you're not a perfect person. And God sees us where we are. He sees the choices that we've made and how they've had pretty damaging effects. He sees how we've not respected him as we should. But he also sees a bloodstained cross, and he says, there's now no longer any condemnation for those who know Christ Jesus and are forgiven through him. It just isn't a reality. And so it is never my job as a pastor to condemn anyone in the church because condemnation has been dealt with on the cross. However, it is my job as a pastor to help facilitate what the Holy Spirit is trying to do on a regular basis with you and I, and that is bring a sense of conviction. There's a difference. I know when I first walked into a church, I felt a lot of shame. I really did. Because I had a rearview mirror that I just wanted to yank off the windshield. And there was a sense of leaving that church free of the shame that accompanied all of those bad choices. I felt set free, liberated, different like a second chance. And Jesus said, I'm here to bring that, but I'm also here to bring conviction. And there are people who say, I identify as the people of God. I self-identify. If the census taker was to come and say, who do you identify with? You could say, well, I identify with, you know, that group of people called Christians. But Jesus is saying, if you don't know me in a way that reflects a kind of relationship. If you haven't experienced forgiveness, that is, I didn't grow up in, I grew up in the church, so I should be fine. No, if you haven't settled your own account with the Lord through a blessing cross and ultimately through Jesus, 
Jesus is saying, be careful. Because that's what it requires for us to be a part of the believing community. And as he's unfolding this, he takes the, he takes the question and he morphs it into uh, another response. He said, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer, uh, I don't know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, hey, we ate and we drank in your presence. We went to church gatherings down in the fellowship hall and we saw you teach in the streets. But he'll say, I tell you, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. And it's not that he doesn't know, know us, because he does. But what he's saying, in effect, is you're coming to me hoping to be a part of the kingdom, but you're coming from a place not of surrender, where you say, I surrender all. You're, coming from, you're not coming from a place that says, um, I, I, I give you all of my life. You're coming from a place that says, we have an agenda over here, and um, part of it's mine, part of it's theirs, part of it's just ideas, and Jesus says, you know, you're coming at me from an angle that tells me you're not really interested in what I have to say, and he's calling him out on it, because essentially he's saying, we don't have anything in common, and if we don't have anything in common, it's not going to work. And one of the reasons why God calls all kinds of people, young, old, all kinds of social classes of people together in this place is he recognizes that through the power of forgiveness that we discover in Jesus Christ, through a blood-stained cross, through a meal that we celebrate every Sunday together, we start to have a whole lot in common. And we start to have attitudes and views of life and views of God, and joy, and a level of peace, and just a way of living in this world that we have deeply in common. And God says, that's where I want you to come from, is a place that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let go of everything else so I can have that. But he's calling these guys out because they're not really interested in what Jesus is up to. They're, they're interested in being religious. They're interested in sort of being a part of something, but they don't want, they don't really want it. They don't really want to live a life that wakes up every day and says, I surrender my life to you. They want a life that says, wakes up every day, hey, I'm in charge. Part of my life is this. Part of my life is that, but I'm also wanting to tell people I'm a good Christian. I heard a story the other day about a lady that um, uh, was waiting for her kid to get picked up uh, at a church with the, um, with, with the, number, with the system, checkout system. And um, she was one of those people that felt like everybody should know who I am, you know, because I'm connected to so-and-so. And so she went to the church pick up her kid, and she saw her kid, and she says, hey, come over here. And so she was looking for that exclusion, that, that pass, and the, and the worker said, we can't do that. We have a policy that says 
we have to follow this procedure, otherwise we're not protecting our kids. But her sense of entitlement said, but I'm different. So they made her wait. And then the next Sunday, she gathered and she waited for her kid, but then she waited till everybody was done. And then she hung around and she took up the volunteer's time. And then she told the volunteer, now we're even. You wasted my time, I'm wasting your time. Okay, now my question is, does, does that come from a place that says, I surrender all? Or does that come from a place that says, it's really all about me and what I want? And if I can connect to Jesus, hey, more, the more the better. And that's the stuff that people see when they see Christians that tell them, I guess not. I guess that's not the way I want to go. And it's a warning for us because all of us have this variation of selfishness that can get in the way. But these people here that Jesus is calling out, they were, they were really pushing it because they essentially were saying, even though we don't really know if you're the CEO of the universe or not, but even if you are the CEO of the universe, we're still going to do it our way. And Jesus says, I'm looking into your soul and you're coming from a place that's different than the place people come from when they truly are seeking salvation. And so he goes on to say, you're going to be shut out, and there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth when the day comes. And I don't know if Jesus took up an offering after the sermon, but I got a feeling if he did, it wasn't going to collect a lot. And then Jesus goes on to say, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and then you yourselves are cast out, well, you're going to be saying, but I know God. I'm part of the kingdom of, I'm part of God's true people. I have the pedigree and the history. I have the social connection. I have the family history of being a part of the church. And Jesus is saying, you can have all of that stuff and still not get it. Because he, he, he says that, um, and people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. And Jesus is, this is, this is not an easy sermon to preach. I have to be honest with you. But it's an important sermon to get because it clarifies for you and I the fact that Jesus is deadly serious about our relationship to him and our relationship with the kingdom of God because there's a whole lot of entitlement that happens, whether it's with them or with us, that he has to sort out. And he's saying, these people are there not because they're entitled, but because their hearts are in the right place. 
And as he's speaking that, he's describing what it is like at the kingdom, the kingdom of God is like, like a table. And then um, I wanted to put the next slide up regarding uh, it's easy to think that we can automatically qualify by birth, by cultural connection, or just by doing good based on our own moral code. This is a case where we're not talking about entitled people who live in the wealthier parts of North, northeastern Ohio who get what they want because they know who they know. But this is about you will not enter the kingdom without knowing the right person. And that person is Jesus. The evaluation is going to be based on your moral code. It's going to be based on whether or not you know him or not. And the kingdom is found wherever God's people are found. And God's people include anyone who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the thing I love about the design of the church. It is a place where you and I can gather, and we can come from any station in life off the street. We can be high up, or we can be that person that um, is just grinding it out during the week, or we can be that person that is suffering from some kind of um, a disability. And Jesus says, I'm including all of you in this category of people known as the kingdom of God. And the way that you discern whether or not you're part of that is really how close you are to him. And as Jesus is unfolding this, it says that at the very hour the Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here. For Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and on the third day finish my course. Now, just throwing that in there, it's, it's something that is in the backdrop that's ultimately going to lead to the destruction of the whole place. And it's the uncertainty that a leader like Herod, who is just a gravy trainer, his father was Herod the Great, who built the temple and established his name as being a big name in, in the country at that time, but not well-loved. Now, can you imagine being a guy who is a king, has a lot of influence, and his imprint is everywhere, having children that were incompetent, that were entitled, that were gravy trainers, that really didn't know the first thing about ruling people, and then when you die, they decide that your three boys who are exactly that example of incompetence are going to be put in charge. Behind the wheel. Running the country. Making policy. Making decisions about who can do what and who can't. Can you imagine a, a son of somebody that is preeminent, ruling, and then basically becoming just a person that says, we need to do it my way without any rationale other than what they feel like the whims of the moment. Who wants to be ruled by somebody like that? And Jesus says, essentially, I don't. Tell that fox. Now, you may be thinking when he says, tell that fox, it's, oh, you know, the cunning like the fox and the grapes and Aesop's fable. But the Jews didn't think about foxes that way. In their mind, they had two animals. One was the fox, and one was the majestic lion. 
The fox, by all means, was a bottom feeder, diminutive, of no account, not respected, somebody that essentially is described as uh, a parasite on society. So Jesus is basically saying some inflammatory stuff. Tell that parasite on society, I don't care. I don't care. Because what I'm doing is larger than even him. And as he describes it, he says, I'm going to continue doing the work of the kingdom. I'm going to continue healing people. I'm going to continue proclaiming the word. And I'm going to continue on until I get to Jerusalem and my mission is fulfilled. And nobody's going to stop me. Now, what I'd like to do is just compare that for a minute to what we've just gone through in the last two years. Because a lot of us have looked at political leadership and we've said, I just wish the political leadership would get in order so that we could have smooth sailing once again. And if only that happens, then it'll be safe and it'll be good. And I think what Jesus is saying here is in stark contrast to that strong impulse that we have in wanting to trust our governmental leaders. We need to respect them. We need to pray for them. We need to do what they, what they tell us to do to the point, except to the point where they cross some lines. And Jesus said, when Herod tells me I cannot do the work of the kingdom, he's crossed a line. When Herod says that we can't participate in all the things that we're doing in influencing the world, it's across the line. When Herod takes ownership for my safety and my well-being, he's crossed the line. Because all of those things appropriately reside under the dominion of Jesus. I've gone through the last two years making sure that I'm grounded in that, the people around me are grounded in that, and I hope our church is grounded in that. Because we can't control what the levels of competency in government have to say about how we should live our lives. We can't. But we can trust that the one who is sovereign over all, even if he's allowing it, is clever enough, despite that, to get us through it. I believe that. It's why I'm in this place. It's why I haven't left this place. This place is my sanctuary. It is the space that defines me as a human being. And I'll tell you what, isn't it nice to have a peace that passes all understanding when you're in that space? And my hope is that none of us leaves this place without first inhabiting that space. It is a test to see whether or not we really trust it. I truly believe that. And I don't want to judge anybody that can't be here. That's not for me to say. But I am going to say if you're not here because you don't trust Jesus, that's a problem. And that's a concern that Jesus carries into this mix. And he looks at the city, and he sees it off in the distance. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, 
Jerusalem. How often I would have gathered your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, yet you are not willing. And he does align himself with prophets who've said the very same thing. But what does that mean? Has anybody ever been around a house fire or something very dramatic like that that was, that was clearly destructive for a business, a house, a home, farm? If you've ever gone through that, you'll get a sense of what's happening here because there was a day when if you knocked over a lantern, things caught on fire, and so did half of Chicago. And if you can imagine that kind of a, an event happening on a pretty regular basis on a farm, you get a sense of what he's describing. And that is if a, if a hen has chicks and there's a fire, it was unusual for that, chick to scur- to, for that hen to scurry and get all of the chicks underneath her wings. And then when the fire blazes through, that hen perishes. But shortly after, you see chicks start to pop out because their lives were spared by the loving instinct of the mother hen. And when he's looking at the people in Jerusalem and he's seeing with his heart their unwillingness to follow God into the space that will make them so much better as human beings and as a community and as worshipers of God. And they say, no. He's simply heartbroken. And when Luke wrote this, the thing that Jesus did that was like that hen happened. When he looked at all the people And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then the fire, the fire of the crucifixion consumed him. That was his way of saying, I love you despite the fact that you don't get it. I'm still dying for you, hoping that in some way when you see this, you'll connect the dots. And as we describe this, we discover that the power of God's kingdom goes to work in the lives of people who get it. The power of God's kingdom is seen when our lives are changed by the presence of Jesus within us. And we are blessed. And he's saying, you'll be blessed. If we can back up to the scripture for just a second. He said, but you've forsaken me. But when you have the will to say with sincere hearts, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It'd be like an atheist turning on the Christian radio and then starting to sing the songs. It doesn't work, and he's probably not going to do it unless somehow along the way he's had a change of heart. And there's nothing sweeter than hearing the sound of people lift up the praises of God who before did not have the heart or the mind or the will or the desire to do so. It's so cool today when we gather for worship 
I could hear you guys singing. I got pretty strong hearing. And it's so cool to hear just the expression of your praises. And I don't know where you guys come from as far as your, all of your stories. I know some of your stories. I know for a lot of you, you would say, I'm not the same person. If you knew me before, you may not even like me now. But the little secret is, when I see Jesus alive in you, I love what I see. And so does God. And there's a contentment to that. And I don't know if you know him or not, but our job here is to help you do that. And so I'm going to end the sermon with a prayer, asking God to introduce you to his son. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that as we conclude this time in this passage of Scripture, which really is not easy to go through, Lord, but yet is a, it is a reminder of our life outside of your kingdom, which is fraught with pain and anxiety and worry and even gnashing of teeth. And that can be in the here and now or that can be in the ever after. I just pray, Father, that whatever representation that people have of your son through the lives of your church that may be misrepresented, I pray that what we've shared today represents well, Lord, who you are, how much your heart longs for us to know your salvation, and the length that you've gone through to ensure that we could know you personally. We could sit at the table with you and we could have a conversation. And you would disarm us by saying, this is my body and my blood broken for you. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to see what we can't when it comes to decisions that go against your will. And help us to see what we need to see when it comes to decisions regarding how we can embrace your calling upon our lives. May you help each of us come to that place as we meet you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe I'm touching you with more than your heaviness. Open up your cups. bow and pray with me. Father, as we, as we get together around this table, as we reflect on these words that we heard from, from Luke, the same I am, the same CEO that we need to get to know, that gathered communities together around on the mountainside and, and shore of the lake is the same one that has called us here today in this building on 6th Street in Salem, Ohio, around this table, reflect upon these emblems, the bread representing your broken body and the juice, your spilled blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And he's just asking us to get to know him. He's blessed these to our bodies. They strengthen us that we go forward as we speak of your of your your good name into this community.
these things we ask in your son's name. solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still when striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the love of Christ I stand Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since good has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the blood. Just love. 
in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of Savior, you are the door, the only door into the kingdom. We've, we're all in proximity to hearing this news, but the difference between a lifeboat and the water is being in the boat. So may we be found not just in proximity in church, but in Christ. We thank you that you draw and you're saving people out of the water. May we see that we're in the water if we are. May we rejoice all the more, cry out to you all the more, and find you because your promise is seek and you will find. May we find, if nothing else, Christ, which is all we need for salvation, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll see you soon, okay?